Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Plum Creek Chapel. We wanted to begin with just uh, taking a look at some scripture here. Let me call this up on the screen for everyone. So uh, today, of course, is uh, the 12th, February the 12th. And so I was reading as I was sitting here watching and listening to the worship team practice uh, Proverbs 12, and this verse jumped off the page at me, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. And this has some real uh, prophetic overtones. Uh, and, and then I was reminded of the previous chapter of Proverbs, where in verse 21 it says, though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the prosperity of the righteous will be uh, delivered. And that word delivered, both in the Old and New Testament, has the concept of uh, rescued, uh, saved, temporally, physically, delivered into the kingdom. And so, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot in our study of the end times about how the wicked are joining forces. And, uh, you know, they are doing everything they can at the behest of Satan to try to usher in his one world system. But let us never forget, they will not go unpunished. And I, I wrote a, my devotional this week for Plum Creek Chapel that went out in the newsletter Thursday. If you're not getting our e-newsletter, be sure to go to plumcreekchapel.org and sign up there on the homepage. Just put your email in the box, uh, but it goes out uh, every Thursday. Uh, I wrote an article this week about this idea of the uh, approaching storm of God's divine judgment. And so uh, it's just helpful to remember that the wicked will not go unpunished. And then King David, at the very end of Psalm 37, where th Psalm 37 is a rich psalm with a lot of great passages that uh, are verses that many of us know and are familiar with. Uh, but it's, uh, it closes out with a great reminder. Uh, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Of course, this is talking to God's people, Israel, who in fact will inherit the land someday as promised to them. But when will that happen? When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. So we're living in the times of the Gentiles right now where Israel is under Gentile domination, as Daniel predicted and Paul talks about in Romans. But someday they will be cut off when Christ comes back to take the throne. He goes on, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. What a day that'll be. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. And indeed, when the Prince of Peace comes back, he will take the throne and rule in perfect peace and righteousness. David goes on, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. And here we go, but the, but the salvation, again, deliverance, not talking here about eternal salvation necessarily, although those at the end of the millennium who um, are ushered into the new heavens and the new earth, those at the end of the tribulation that are ushered into the millennium, those will be also those who are eternally saved. But he's just talking about here the nation of Israel being delivered into their land. The deliverance of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in a time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust uh, in him. So just, a, I think, a, a very encouraging reminder that, you know, we're on the winning team. And uh, we need not fret, need not, uh, uh, you know, worry 
uh, we've got, you know, God's got this, and even though things may get worse before they get better, uh, God is in control. So uh, we are, it's kind of mixed emotions today because this is our final uh, installment of this uh, What Lies Ahead series that we've been doing for almost three years. Uh, it's 82 parts, but remember in the midst of all that we had a number of times when we didn't meet for inclement weather or when I've been out of town, things like that. So uh, we started this uh, pretty soon after I came uh, to Plum Creek Chapel. We began our nine o'clock hour three years ago with Spirit of the Antichrist, which subsequently became a DVD series and then the two books. Uh, but then we moved right into What Lies Ahead on Sunday mornings. And so this is our part 82, and it'll be the final installment, at least for now, as we transition into a second service here. Uh, and so starting uh, next week, uh, we've, I'll be gone. I'll be in Florida. And so we've got a guest speaker for the nine o'clock hour. And then uh, the following week, on the 26th, we move to uh, a second worship hour, 8.30 and 10. So anyway, as promised, this is our final uh, installment, and we want to dedicate it like we did last week to a question and answer session. So I have uh, pulled up several charts that I want to have at my fingertips if we need them, but I wanted to just kind of open the floor to questions if there's anything that comes to your mind prophetically or frankly, anything biblically that maybe you'd like to ask about. So who's got a question? Yes. Can you explain the synagogue of Satan? Mm. The synagogue of Satan. So there are a lot of different, the question is about the synagogue of Satan. I'm not sure if I know exactly which entity you're talking about there. Is it the one I talk about in the book that's out of Texas? Oh, give me a passage and let's look at it. Do you know? Or I can I can look it up. Um, yeah, I'd have to look at the context. I mean, my guess is, as he did frequently, especially in the closer t uh, times toward the end of his life, that final week right. when he goes in, that's probably when it was long about Matthew 21, 22, 23, and there after the triumphal entry. So my guess is it's just the same idea as you've turned my father's house into a house of den, you know, a den of thieves, you've, your whitewashed tombs, your vipers, those kinds of things. So I think he's just probably, you know, it's a pejorative, lab, descriptive label of who their real master is rather than the Lord himself. But I'd have to look at the context. If you find it, uh, raise your hand again and we'll look at it and see if we can't uh, pick up the context. It's, it's like it's Revelation 2, 9 and uh, 3, 9. Revelation 2, 9, and 3, 9. So it's Revelation, huh? Is that what you were thinking, uh, Judy? Well, what I was thinking is that I hear references today to the synagogue of Satan referring to uh, Luciferian-like activity, but I believe it was referencing Pharisaic um, activity from the Jews by Jesus. Yeah, so... Uh, here we see as Jesus is talking, it is Jesus, he's talking to the church here. He refers to the synagogue of Satan. This is uh, the Smyrna church, the letter to Smyrna. But you are a synagogue of Satan. Synagogue there just means congregation, assembly. So uh, I don't think he's referring to this as some formal establishment that is, is, is a organized Religion, he's just calling them this church here. Uh, you know, they're not a 
biblical church. They're a synagogue of Satan. Again, you know, uh, it's kind of the way Paul would talk about the apostate church in 1 Timothy 4. So, but uh, let's see. I don't know that there's another reference we could look it up, but, but yeah. Yeah, we, there's a lot of that going, going on these days. A lot of apostate churches, a lot of churches that are, have lost you know, sight. What, is, uh, what do we read in 1 Timothy 4? Uh, the Spirit expressly says that in the last time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, so each of those churches that Jesus writes to in uh, Revelation, let me pull that up here. Uh, let's see. So that we can take a look at the outline of Revelation. Uh, so if you look here uh, over on the far left, he's got the, uh, he, of course, John under the inspiration of the Spirit introduces Christ, the Revelation. And then uh, he's got the letters to the churches. So these are all true churches, but they all had both a problem and a commendation. And so... I'm not, I don't, again, I don't take the synagogue of Satan there. I don't, I don't think it's a formal, like, religion. It's just a description. They are a gathering or an, a congregation is the Greek word of Satan. Somebody else? Good, good question. Yeah. Okay, so I, I kind of asked this last week, but I know you ran out of time. But it, it's about the new, well, it's a two-part question. What about the new Jerusalem? Okay. I've always read that to be after the millennial in the new Yeah. No, go ahead. Correct. Yeah. So the question is about the New Jerusalem and when it comes into play. And by the way, you're asking the same question again, just because you're wanting to double check, I give the same answer. I know you, you're trying to check me out. Okay. No, 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 we didn't have time last week. Uh, so uh, the first part of the question is, when does the new Jerusalem come into being? And the second part is, what are believers of the church age going to be doing in the eternal state relative to the new heaven and the new earth? So First of all, I take it that the New Jerusalem corresponds to the New Heaven and the New Earth. So I do not hold the view that a lot of old school dispensationalists hold that the New Jerusalem is in a place during the millennium and it's a satellite city from which we can come and go during the millennium. I just don't think that. The context here is in Revelation 21 is after the millennium, which is in chapter 20. And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says, then... I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from a God prepared as a bride adorned for her husbands. Now, if you read some, you know, again, mid-20th century dispensationalists, you know, they would say that it was already in existence and it's just sort of coming down at that point. It's hovering up during the millennium and then it comes down. I don't, I don't take that view. Uh, I think it's, it comes into being... Uh, after the millennium, because the millennium, and I talk about this in, if you go back about 10 or 15 sessions, maybe more than that now, in our series, and you can see when we talked about the New Jerusalem, but 
uh, there's a old Jerusalem with the millennial temple that Ezekiel describes very, you know, in great detail. And it just does not make sense to me to have two Jerusalems, you know, the, the earthly one and a heavenly one. And then again, the context here in chapter 21 indicates the new Jerusalem corresponds to the new heavens, and the new earth. As to what believers are going to be doing during that time, we will have our glorified bodies, which means we're not confined to time and space. Uh, so we will have the opportunity to go to the new Jerusalem and the new, uh, or you know, to the new heaven rather than the new earth. Uh, but it doesn't mean we're going to be constantly doing that, as you asked about. You know, we're going to be dwelling on earth, as with all saints, some in their glorified bodies, some in their physical bodies. But unlike the ones in their physical bodies, we'll have the opportunity to go to the heavens. Well, I was meaning in the millennium. Same, yeah, yeah, in the millennium. Yes. Because we're reigning with Christ on the earth. Yes. So we'll have physical homes here on the earth. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, we our our we the millennium is is earthly. So we will have glorified bodies, and in that sense, we still are not confined to space. But I don't know that we're going to be going back to heaven. Everything's going to be taking place on earth. Everything will. I mean, all the Old Testament saints, all the tribulation saints, have been resurrected and come back to earth. We've come back to earth at the second coming with Christ. Why would we want to turn around and go back to heaven? So everything is earthly during the millennium, uh, but we will be in our glorified bodies, which means we can um, you know, more easily go from one point to another and that kind of thing. Jesus says he goes to prepare a place for us. Mm -hmm. So when the rapture happens, we go to heaven, and that's where we have homes there for seven years. And then yeah, so remember the ultimate fulfillment of Bible pro the question is about Jesus preparing homes for us in John 14. The ultimate fulfillment of Bible prophecy is the new heavens and the new earth. And in that sense, we will have our home in heaven. Um, but, uh, but you have to just kind of follow the biblical uh, description. So we go to heaven at the rapture, and we're living there for at least seven years. Could be longer, right? Because we don't know how much time there is you know, between the rapture and the start of the tribulation could be 10 years. So we have to have a home there. But then we come back with Christ, Revelation 19, to the earth during the millennium. So, you know, we'll have multiple homes, you know. All of us, all those who wanted to have a second home in Aspen or something, you know, it's going to be way better than Aspen. So, yes. Kind of along the same vein, I believe last week or a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure. Um, Revelation one or twenty one one, where there is no more sea, and you said at the time that it was a metaphor for the flood and for evil, yeah. And I, I would just like to posit that I think if it says there's no more sea, there's probably not going to be an ocean. Right. No, no, that's what it's saying. Yeah, there's no more sea. So so what's your what's your comment then? Just is that comparing the sea to the ocean? Isn't that is yeah. the sea the ocean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. All right. I don't know. Yeah. So I've wrestled with it, with this for like three years. <laughs> Ever since I read that and I was like, Well, it's gotta mean there's not gonna be any more ocean. Right. But there are rivers and yeah, so remember, prior to the flood, we, you know, the, the continents were together. It was a different, you know, creation. The oceans 
and the earth as we now understand it are damaged. They're under the curse of sin and under God's judgment. As beautiful as things are, it's the result of God's judgment. Everything, the Grand Canyon, the mountains, you know, everything. And that's true of the seas. But you see uh, the oceans and the seas used repeatedly as a metaphor in Scripture for judgment. The roaring seas and he's going to, you know, the frothing oceans and that kind of stuff. So um, once the earth is recreated in sinless perfection again, and again, this isn't just a remodeling, it's a complete destruction of the old earth and a complete recreation of the new earth, then we won't have that. But that doesn't mean there won't be waters because the, the Genesis account describes the creation of fish, right, and sea life. So you have, you have uh, rivers and ponds and things like that. Somebody else? Yes. Missed you last week. Are you feeling better? Yes, I'm feeling better. Thanks. As she coughs. <coughs> yeah, I'm feeling better. <laughs> I love it. Right. A revised chronology that, um, because the course says that the traditional chronology isn't really sound. So I was just curious. What do you mean by the traditional chronology? What, like, give me a date or. or... Well, like, if you assigned Joseph, Joseph's time to Ramses or something, according to the archaeology course I took, that's not really. Yeah, so secular uh, archaeologists and secular sociologists and secular anthropologists, they don't accept the truth of God's Word. So they're using, you know, things like carbon dating, you know, carbon dating, that excellent scientific mechanism that tested a bone from Kentucky Fried Chicken and said it was millions of years old. That's the, the one I'm talking about. Uh, and they try to date everything differently. But I'm using the biblical dates, and in the study of biblical history, we there are two ways that you can arrive at dates. And so uh, you've got the in, what's called the internal evidence, which is dates that the Bible gives us, and then you've got external evidence. And so that's why we're able, for example, in our study through Acts, we can in some cases pinpoint the exact moment. We certainly can pinpoint the exact uh, like triumphal entry, the exact uh, crucifixion date, resurrection date, the date of Pentecost. Uh, you know, we have we have the evidence. We have certain major events that are well attested in historical documents, like the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and uh, those types of things. So, you know, you're able to, you know, come up with a timeline. But yeah, it's it's the biblical timeline. So we believe that human history is 6,000 years old. That, uh, using today's reckoning of dates, we put creation at 4004 BC, and so here we are in 2023 AD, and so we're you know 6,000 years into human history. So, yes, I think there was hold that thought. I love you, but <laughs> love you too. I think I saw another hand over here, and I want to be fair. Yes. 
last week I asked you about the mark of the beast. Yeah. You said you don't worry about it till the second half when the beast requires the worshiping through the mark. Right. But then I was listening to a podcast this morning of yours, a recent one, while I was feeding the cows. And, and you said don't take the CBDC because I was asking you about right. the real ID, the CBDC, the vaccine passport. So last week I was feeling really good. I'll have to worry about it to the midpoint. Yeah. This morning, I, I thought I heard you say don't take No, it. no, I would definitely not take it. So the comment is uh, that last week we talked about how the technology that we see today is, is not the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast will not come into play until after the rapture and indeed midway through the tribulation but we see technology today that is clearly setting the stage for that so i said i would absolutely not sign up for a digital id but not because that's the mark of the beast just because it's dangerous it's the way they're going to track you it's it's not good just like i wouldn't take the vaccine there are fates worse than death so uh that's not to say that it's the mark of the beast that they're, they're completely separate issues so I, when I talked about CBDCs recently at a conference, you know, I came out very strong against it. When the time comes and they roll out and mandate the digital ID to be able to do anything uh, like they have in other places, like the Adhar system in India, where, you, you know, they don't make it mandatory, but you got to have it to pay your taxes. And if you don't pay your taxes, you'll go to jail, right? So they, they find a way to mandate it without mandating or lose your land and all of that. So... No, I, I absolutely would never take the digital ID. I would never sign up for it, and I would never take the vaccine. And there are a lot of things I wouldn't do, but that's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast biblically doesn't come into existence until the beast comes into existence, and that doesn't happen until after the rapture. When your county stops accepting anything but the CBDC to pay your property taxes, then you lose your home. Absolutely. When your county stops taking anything but CBDCs to pay your taxes, you're going to lose your home. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you could lose your job if you don't take the vaccine and you can't travel and you might not have been able to go in and watch, be with your mom or dad or grandma or granddad when they died, or you might not be able to go overseas and share Christ. I did a podcast over two years ago now um, in which uh, I spent the whole hour with a, I forget what show it was on, talking about should Christians take the vaccine. And I, I dealt with about 10 or 15 things that believers come up with. But what about this? But what about that? And it was all an ends justifies the means thing. And I say there's absolutely no reason that a believer should ever take the vaccine personally. So the net effect to the believer is the same as the mark of the beast. No, because the mark of the beast is only going to be taken by unbelievers, according to Scripture. Right, but I mean, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you can't buy, sell, or trade. Correct. You lose everything. Well, no, the difference is if you don't take the mark of the beast, your head is chopped off. If you don't take the digital ID, you're going to suffer. You might not be able to buy groceries. You might not. You might lose your land. I mean, who knows? And, and again, we're not saying all that's going to happen before the rapture, but it could happen before the rapture. Yeah. And we've seen that. We saw a dry run with it, with the, you know, gene altering bioinjections that they required people to get. And many people suffered enormously for it. They lost their jobs. They got decommissioned from the military. Of course, the military later came along and said, no, no, just kidding. It's okay. You don't have to take the vaccine. But they didn't go back and reinstate all those people, those military servicemen and women they fired before they made that release. It's just, it's, you know, complete, utter tyranny. But yeah, 
sucks up his plumage, he shall rule and reign. Yeah. So in the millennium, where you know the ruling and reigning, it's talking about the church. Yes. I've heard that there's some believers out there who believe if you don't suffer for Christ, then you will not rule and reign. Well, that's yeah. The the, the comment is one of the re eternal rewards, which are doled out at the Bema and implemented in the millennium is positions of service which will be given to those who suffer well and who suffer particular persecution. So in my series on uh, eternal rewards and in the uh, What Lies Ahead book that has that chapter on that, I talk about how suffering, persecution, even martyrdom comes with a particular reward. So I absolutely agree. You know, I don't think it's limited to those who suffer. It's more, in some cases, just being good stewards, like Luke 19 says, if you're a good steward, you're going to be put in charge of certain positions in the kingdom. But certainly suffering comes with it, brings with it eternal rewards. And so, um, you know, it's Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to come. So, um, but yeah, I mean, back to your point, I think if the Lord tarries is coming, we're going to see a lot more suffering as they really try to tighten the screws. In a small way, we've already begun to see that here. I mean, when Christians are canceled from YouTube or banned from certain social media groups or arrested because they were singing praises out in their parking lot at church, you know, that's suffering, right? So all I'm saying is knowing how powerful the digital ID system is and how it essentially brings full-spectrum planetary control, I would resist that to my dying day. It may mean, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, it may mean, you know, heading for the hills and so forth. But the difference between that and the mark of the beast is the mark of the beast will only be taken by unbelievers, and every uh, only hell-bound people will take the mark of the beast. Believers will never take the mark of the beast, according to Revelation. Um, and if, if they don't, they may uh, have their heads chopped off. They might not. I mean, there's a, there's a whole contingent of believers who survive the tribulation physically by hiding out in caves and, and fleeing. Um, remember, the Antichrist and, and, and the false prophet are not om, omnipotent, so they, you, it is possible to somehow avoid it. Uh, not for us, we won't be here, but I'm talking about believers that get saved after the rapture and are present on the earth during that seven-year period. Um, but that's why Jesus tells the future nation of Israel that will be alive at that time in Matthew 24, I think it's verse 13. Yeah, he who endures to the end will be saved. He's not talking there about eternal salvation. I mean, that's a very, one of the most misquoted passages in Scripture. People will say, well, you got to endure, you got to persevere, or you're going to hell. Well, then why did, why did Jesus die on the cross? If I've got to endure to get to heaven, what's the purpose of the shed blood of Christ? Salvation's a free gift of grace. I, I receive it by faith. And, and, and the moment I trust Christ, Jesus says, I have passed from death to life and shall never come into judgment. So my eternal destiny is thankfully not contingent upon whether I persevere to the end. In the context here, Jesus is talking about the seven-year tribulation and saved, as we just said at the outset tonight, or this morning, talking about Psalm 37, means delivered. And those who are who survive the, till the end of the seven-year tribulation will be the ones who are delivered physically into the kingdom. Now, all of the resurrected Jews and the church as well 
will be participating in the kingdom. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, they're going to come back in their glorified bodies. Daniel 12, 2, Isaiah 26, 3 tells us that, at, that they're resurrected at the coming of Christ. But he's talking here to those that are alive in their physical bodies. And he's, he's said all kinds of things about they're going to deliver you up to tribulation. They're going to kill you. But if you endure to the end, then you'll be delivered into the kingdom. This is what the kingdom coming looks like, is what he's saying. So, yeah, over here, your husband had his hand up first. I'm hoping he forgot his question. Back to uh, time and how it's measured and yeah. counted for. I believe the Jews use a 360-day Correct. The Hebrew calendar is 360 days. So, and 365 for the modern. Yeah. Which one are, are we talking about when Jesus says seven, or all the prophets are giving? Well, we're following the, they're the same, they just come out, you just call it different. Like, you know, on the, as we showed with the prophecy of Daniel, using the Hebrew calendar, you arrive at March 30th. Uh, 33 AD, the date of the triumphal entry. But that's 173,880 days after the decree of Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild the kingdom in um, March 15th, 444 BC. So we can, we can do the math and then we can call it what it is like we did with the creation. Based on today's reckoning, that's 4004 BC. Now God didn't decree when he, cre when he spoke the world into existence, thus saith the Lord, it is now 4004 BC. He just he started the clock ticking with time, space, and matter. But as we take today's reckoning and overlay it, then we can do it. So it's the same. It's one date with two reckonings, two labels, you might say. So you're using a 360-day. Uh, yeah, the biblical, uh, the the Hebrew calendar was a 360-day calendar. So, yeah. <clears throat> Oh, they will, yeah. Dying and, you know, the plagues and all these things that are told us, you know, a fourth of the population will die or half or a third or whatever. So, I mean, there could be a large number of people that don't get their heads cut off. Oh, there will be, yeah. Right, and, you know, they're not yet to the mark of the beast. So, you know, they've come to Christ... No. Escaping, you know, escaping kind of that awful, awfulness of when the Antichrist before the midpoint. Yeah, before the midpoint. Yeah, I don't have the chart, but I've got it prepared for Tuesday night because we're going to talk about the depopulation movement uh, Tuesday night at Prophecy Night. But the uh, the comment is in the kingdom. I mean, I'm sorry, in the tribulation, being beheaded is not the only way to die. Of course, there's all kinds of natural disasters and judgments, the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments that take so much percentage of the earth, you know, earth off the earth. But if we go back to uh, Revelation 7, this is how we know that there is going to be a great revival in the tribulation. Uh, After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches, 
in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne. So these are, and he says, he goes on to say, who are these? These are those who come out of the, tri the tri great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So this is talking about be people who get saved after the rapture during the tribulation period. Well, that's um, the better way to go. <laughs> well, we, the better way to go is to get saved today. And then you don't have to be in the tribulation. Because, uh, yeah, let me, let me just... Uh, Bring that verse home. Uh, let's see, one ten. Jesus, uh, Paul says in First Thess one ten, we are to wait for His Son from heaven, who whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the whole uh, tribu whole tribulation period is the wrath of God. Later on, He says God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain again deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to come back and rescue us. Galatians 1, 4, uh, uh, or deliver us from this present evil age. See that? So this is, uh, these, this is the promise of the rapture, is that we won't have to be here during the tribulation. And if we go back to Revelation 6, remember the first seal judgment at the beginning of the tribulation is the rider on the white horse that's the imposter, and he's going out to conquer. It's the Antichrist. But as these seals are happening, you know, on earth, by the time you get to the end, what do we find? Um, the great day of the Lord's wrath has come. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from their, this wrath. So the wrath of God is, begins at the very beginning. It's not, as some people say, I had a guy call me uh, this week. He actually uh, called. My, my daughter is returning a lot of the calls, and he wanted to set up a time to talk, which I tell her, hey, if anybody would like to talk, let me know. We'll put it on the counter. So I had an appointment set up for this week. Super nice guy, but the whole reason he wanted to talk was to tell me how wrong I am because the, rap the rapture is going to happen three-quarters of the way through the tribulation prior to the wrath of God. And I tried to explain to him, no, the whole day of the Lord's wrath, according to Zephaniah and Isaiah and all the Old Testament prophets, is that 70th week of Daniel. That's the wrath uh, that we are going to... Uh, you know, be uh, rescued before it happens. Um, the seventy, the four hundred ninety-year plan of Daniel that we talked about not long ago in here is all Jewish in nature. Uh, let's go look at the prophecy itself. Notice what it says: seventy weeks. Remember, a week is a shabua, meaning a seven-year period. So seventy seven-year periods, according to the Hebrew, or four hundred ninety years, are determined for who? What does that say? Your people and your holy city for the Jews and Jerusalem it has nothing to do with the church. The first 483 years, the church didn't participate in, and we're not going to participate in the final uh, seven years. That's the whole mystery of the rapture. It's the, the church is a mystery, and uh, the rapture is a mystery. So real quick, let me see if I can call back up our uh, slides and if you go to uh, Daniel's 70 weeks, here it is. Everything in blue, although it looks kind of purple on the screens. Well, mine, it looks blue, but uh, that's relating to Israel. Everything in green is part of that gap of time that Daniel demands with the time words because he says from A to B is going to be 483 years. And then after the 483rd year, the Messiah is going to be cut off. The temple is going to be destroyed. Then, sometime later, a, 
at an unknown time, a peace treaty of seven years is going to be signed with, by the Antichrist in Israel, and that's going to start the clock ticking. So that hasn't happened yet. So we're not in the 70th week, but prior to that happening, we're going to be uh, rescued, uh, and, and you know the, the church is not going to be uh, part of you know, that plan. So this is why in the end times charts, we show the rapture happening, then some unspecified length of time where there's chaos ensuing and the Antichrist kind of rises to the fore and so forth. And then the tribulation starts. So good, good question. Does that make sense to everyone? Very important to understand that Daniel's 70th week is not for the church. Now, it doesn't mean we don't study it. We, we're, we're, we study all the whole counsel of God. And it's helpful to know so that we can sound the warning, just as Jesus did in all of our discourse, to those who might be left behind. Um, but we don't have to worry about being a part of that time. Now, Mike, I think you had a question at one point. Yeah, I would just, when we were talking about suffering, and we recently, I think last week, talked about that, or had some discussion about that. <coughs> it's just important to, I think, and I it's important to understand, I think, that suffering needs to be defined um, as, because suffering is a pretty broad term. So, right. And I know that in certain, certain religious orders, suffering is a integral part of, of worship uh, and self-administered pain and all that sort of stuff, which I think is pretty bizarre, but it's uh, that kind of suffering, from what I understand you to be teaching, is not really what we're talking about. It's, not, it's about uh, basically enduring the trials and tribulations of the, of the world we're in and your reactions to, uh, you know, to how, how you handle your suffering, not how you create your suffering. Yeah, so suffering... You're right. It's a broad term, and there are many forms of suffering. Not all of it is persecution yeah. for the faith. Persecution for the faith is one form of suffering. Yeah. But you can suffer physical ailments. You can suffer tragedies and heartaches. You can suffer just because of the fallen nature of this world and the inequities of life. You can suffer, you can suffer loss of a job. You can suffer a flat tire. You can, you know, uh, we were talking to someone recently, Wendy and I, whose house burned down. You know, that's there's all kinds of suffering, and the call for the believer is to endure it, you know, uh, well. And so what we were talking, and we did talk about this last week. I'm going to touch on it again this week as we get to chapter 23 in Acts uh, in our worship hour. But uh, a lot of what we've been focusing on is the rise of persecution in the church today. So in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, I have a whole chapter on the rise of anti-Christian sentiment and what that looks like. And I think it's, it's, you know, what I'm trying to do, and I'm not alone by any means, there are a lot of great Bible teachers out there that are preparing the church for this, is that if the Lord tarries us coming, we need to be prepared to face a particular kind of suffering, namely persecution. Um, and, you know, Jesus said the same thing in, I think it's John 16, 33, in the upper room. Yeah, these things I have spoken to you, uh, th that uh, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, just a general term for trials and troubles, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, Would it be fair to say also that um, the rule and reign 
in the new heavens and the new earth and indeed in the millennium are not contingent solely on your reactions to suffering. It's because your rewards at the Bema judgment are based on multiple criteria. Yeah. In other words, the, the rewards are not just a single big reward for I'm a great, uh, you know, I endured suffering greatly and so here I get this certain elevated position. It's for other things also. Right. So exactly. Yeah. As I said a moment ago, the rewards, there's all kinds of rewardable actions uh, and actual rewards, crowns and those types of things. Um, but uh, as Alan pointed out in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, and the idea there is since, we shall also live with him. The resurrection is guaranteed. Something very important that Paul is going to talk about today in the passage we're looking at as he appears before the Sanhedrin. But notice, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. So uh, this, is the, this is contingent on our endurance. But if we deny him, he will deny us. Again, people rip that second part of verse 12 out of context and say, oh, if you deny the Lord, you're going to hell. Well, again, why did Jesus have to shed his blood on the cross? If my entrance into heaven is contingent upon me not denying the Lord, I don't need a Savior. But it's precisely because I cannot save myself and nothing I can do can, can you know, cause me to get entrance into heaven that I need a Savior. And if you've trusted Christ, you've passed from death to life and shall never come into judgment. Uh, if you're a Christian today, you'll be a Christian tomorrow. Nothing can change that. Whatever day it is, today, tomorrow, five years from now, ten years ago, if you're a Christian today, you'll be a Christian tomorrow. That's the statement that God's Word promises us. And so this isn't talking about heaven or hell. In the context, what is he saying? Well, if you endure, you'll reign with him. But if you don't endure, if you deny him, then you're not going to reign with him, right? And then he goes on in one of the most comforting verses in all of Scripture about you know, our, the endurance of our faith, the, the security of our faith in Christ. Even if we are faithless, and that word faithless is ah. Pistu, pisteo, meaning uh, even if we have no faith, it's a verb, uh, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So even if a person, through whatever series of circumstances, they get out of the Word of God, they stop fellowshipping with other believers, they depart from the faith, they backslide, they you know, just get bitter or angry, whatever the circumstance, if a person gets to the point where they throw up their hands and say, forget it, I don't even believe in you anymore, Jesus. God knows who's his. God knows who's his. And he knows that by faith we've been born again, born from above, as Jesus told Nicodemus. We're part of the family of God. And again, uh, even such a serious, egregious error as denying the Lord cannot undo what the Spirit of God did the moment we trusted Christ. Suppose Peter had gotten struck by lightning and dropped dead between the second time and the third time that he denied Christ. Or, let's be even more severe, after that third time when he not only denied Christ but cursed him. I don't know Christ. I've never known him and, and he cursed him. He dropped dead right then. Would he go to hell? Of course not. He was a believer. Our eternal destiny is not contingent upon you know, whether or not we hang on to the faith. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done but according to his mercy he saved us so a very good passage that uh, that alan brought up now before we hold that thought for one second i want to go back to something 
Paul said. Paul always asks these really challenging questions, and I, I try to give an answer, but then they're always stewing in the back of my mind. And the next one is, can Jesus come back on a balloon? Can, can Jesus come back on a balloon? Who knows? If he did, Biden would probably shoot it down. But uh, anyway, um, so going back to the calendar question, the, the, one of the rate ways we know that the end times calendar is on the Hebrew reckoning of time is that the Bible refers to the first three and a half years of the tribulation as 1260 days. Now, if you go 1260 days times two, which would be seven years, and you divide that by seven, you get 360. So the tribulation is a 360 day year. Yes. No, Julie, yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, the, those who come to Christ in the, in the tribulation, if they're martyred, or as soon as they die, do they get their glorified body away? No. Okay. So, the first question is, let me go back to the chart here. Um, you know how there's an app for that? Well, with me, it's always there's a chart for that, right? Uh, so, if we look at the resurrections... Uh, scatological judgments. Uh, I'm just trying to pull up. Um, when will our bodies be right? Don't tell me I don't have that one in here. Huh. There it is. So if we look at when will our bodies be resurrected, uh, uh, the tribulation believer is resurrected at the second coming. Revelation 20. So when Christ comes back, that's when they get their glorified bodies. But if a person is a believer and martyred during the tribulation, like all believers, they go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. So David is with the Lord today. Uh, Moses, uh, you know, all the old Abraham, any of our loved ones from the church age that are believers, they're in the presence of the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 7, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Same thing will be true then. And by the way, unbelievers who die during the tribulation, they're immediately in torment. But the physical bodies will be resurrected at the, for, for believers at the second coming. All unbelievers of all ages from Adam forward, their bodies are resurrected at the end of the millennium prior to the new heavens and the new earth. And you said you had a second question? Yeah. What is my stance on pets? I like pets. I like dogs a little more than cats. Um, you may have heard that. I don't know. Uh, no, animals are, don't have a soul. Animals are not made in the image of God. So animals are not eternal beings. So they, when an animal dies, it ceases to exist. That's the biblical record. That's what distinguishes mankind from every other created being. Now, there will be animals in the kingdom, but not ones that were died before the kingdom they're just animals there but an animal does not have an eternal soul that's exactly what distinguishes mankind from every other created thing that's the imago day is that we have an eternal soul animals trees plants any other created being does not live eternally so okay last question you bet Yeah, so the question is, what happens for the church believers 
after the rapture, but before the, end, the second coming when we come back with Christ riding on white horses. So there's a couple of things. And in my book, What Lies Ahead, uh, I let me call that up just because we're wrapping up here. Uh, I mention these things. It's the Bema judgment and the marriage of the Lamb. Both of those are taking place in heaven while the tribulation is taking place on earth. Okay, so... Well, thank you guys. Uh, we'll take a break. Um, uh, I'm going to miss the Sunday morning time, but if you want more Prophecy, of course, you can come Tuesday nights to Prophecy Night. Um, you know, we've got uh, an amazing uh, problem here, a challenge here at the church, and that is we're out of space. We had four cars pull up last week, couldn't even park. They were out front, came knocking on the door, what do we do? And we had to go out and direct them to a restaurant parking lot down the road. So starting the 26th, uh, we're launching a second service to kind of take some pressure off of our uh, seating capacity. And the only way to do that is to, we don't have enough time in the day to do the Sunday school hour as well. So we're temporarily not going to have the Sunday school hour. Tuesday night, Prophecy Night, will be our uh, Prophecy Focus. And then we also are launching, I'll say more about this in the announcement time, and launching a Wednesday night Bible study for those who may be interested. It's going to be a small group, more interactive time. But if you're interested in coming to that on Wednesday nights, that's at 6 o'clock Wednesdays as well. Um, and then one final announcement. Uh, we're watching this weather, you know, that's coming. And it, we don't know yet. We're going to keep a close eye on it. But we may end up not being able to meet. Tuesday or Wednesday night. We don't know, depending on how bad this storm is. So watch the newsletter. Watch, sign up for the alerts at plumcreekchapel.org. I will also put a banner up on the website. If we're not able to meet in person for Prophecy Night Tuesday night, I will still do it live stream. We just won't meet in person. Uh, if we can't meet in person Wednesday night, we just will uh, not have it Wednesday night. So Anyway, just wanted to make the mention of those two quick announcements. All right, well, let's uh, uh, dismiss, and we'll come back together for worship here at about 10 o'clock. The live stream will start about 10.20 or so.